Okay. Now, this week we'll talk about similarities and differences between machine learning and analytics. And we have a special guest today, Rishab. So Rishab has worked with analytics and machine learning teams for seven, more than seven years. Most recently, he led a sales engineering team at a data infrastructure company called Data Coral, which was acquired by Cloudera. And he was helping analytic teams with their data pipelines there. Before that, he was one of the employees at Primer, Primer AI. Primer, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, where he built and deployed machine learning models for multiple natural um, natural language applications. So he also writes a newsletter uh, called ML Ops Rounds that discusses challenges with machine learning production. So subscribe to that. It's mlopsrounds.substack.com. Right, so this is a cool newsletter. I am um, I am subscribed, so you should also do. And uh, yeah, so welcome, Rishab. Thank you, thank you for having me, Alexi. So before we go into our main topic, let's start with your background. Can you can you tell us uh, about your career journey so far? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you covered a little bit of that, but I'll give you a, a quick introduction myself. So you know, until recently, I was uh, at this data infrastructure company called DataCore with. We'd almost we'd just been acquired by Cloudera, but sort of you know in my time there, I had worked on engineering, some product work, and then some sales engineering work. And really, the goal for the team was, you know, how do you sort of help data scientists move data from point A to point B as efficiently as possible, right? So that they're not blocked on, uh, you know, data engineering resource. So we had like a nice little product that would allow them to do that. Um, and before that, I was uh, I was doing. Uh, uh, I was doing sort of machine learning work myself at a company called Primer. And there, you know, we were basically helping customers make sense of a large amount of unstructured text. So a lot of fun kind of NLP problems, you know, including summarization, sort of entity extraction, sentiment, classification, all of those, those, those fun things. Um, um, so that was, that was kind of my journey at Primer. Um, but, and before that, I was, uh, I was at Stanford doing, uh, doing a master's in computer science. Uh, so, you know, lots of machine learning uh, classes there, but I was also a TA for a few classes, including uh, the Andrewing machine learning class. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned at the end, you know, I, I write this newsletter called the MLOps uh, Roundup. Yeah, it's been a pretty fun journey this past year to, you know, research, think about what, what is interesting to the community and just kind of uh, write, write my learnings there. Yeah. Um, I'm really yeah. curious, what did you do as sales engineer? So maybe in a few, I, I know it's a bit of topic, yeah. but I'm really curious what uh, did yeah. you actually do there? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, it's it's still a very technical role. I mean, it's, it's, about, um, it's about kind of helping folks who are evaluating the product, uh, you know, best understand what are the capabilities, what are the sorts of problems that it can solve for them. Um, and you know, you know, basically, what are what are the things that it can do? What it, what are the things it can't do? So a lot of my kind of work, uh, you know, was actually just working with prospective customers. You know, either doing demos, uh, sometimes running trials with them, um, and sometimes just kind of getting in the weeds with kind of their data infrastructure and saying, okay, maybe you might want to change, you know, this little thing X here because you know, not only will this integration with us become easier, but also it'll make your life easier down the line. So it was a lot of just, you know, getting into the weeds with, uh, you know, data infrastructure stuff for our customers and then taking, you know, the, the product that we had and saying, you know, here's how it could help. Uh, here's what it could do for you. Mm -hmm. So, which I guess also involved doing some proof of con concepts. Uh... Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, then uh, the customer would evaluate if this POC yeah. works for them or not. Right? Exactly. So I was responsible for sort of uh, the trials that we used to do with companies in the POCs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, yeah. interesting yeah so yeah. you mentioned that you did masters at stanford and you were ata at andrew and course but yeah that's cool so i took that uh, at coursera not yeah. uh, of course i think it's pretty different from the real one right yeah Okay. Yeah, I think it's uh it's it's funny because I think some of the the problem sets and such might be similar or like the 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 programming assignments at least, but mm -hmm. uh, I I haven't uh, seen the exact courses, but yeah, um, <laughs> okay. it's still it's still pretty good, yeah. So I was also doing masters, although um, so I wasn't really studying computer science. I think I ended up getting a masters in computer science, but the main um, direction there was BI, business intelligence. So I was studying BI and uh, yeah, so we were taking courses like data mining, uh, data warehousing, business intelligence, all these kind of things. And we there in our courses, we studied two types of analytics. So one analytics was pres prescriptive analytics and the other kind of analytics was predicting anal predictive analytics. Mm. And sometimes for this predictive analytics, we would call it data mining right mm. so it's not like you not just uh, you know dig something up in your data but you also yeah. do some prediction there right and um so i guess this predictive analytics this is what today we call machine learning to some extent right so this is what we we analyze some data that we have yeah we do analytics for doing predictions but still there is a reason why this thing is called or was called predictive analytics so do you know what is the what is the main difference between these two types of analytics, prescriptive analytics and predictive analytics? Yeah, it's this is this is super interesting because you know, like many different fields have been you know working with data in different capacities for decades at this point, right? So today we're kind of having a conversation about analytics and machine learning, and you know it's very much kind of the modern context, right? Like today's context, um, and even sort of you know you reference the word kind of data mining, right? It's uh, I mean, data mining, mining is kind of this old school kind of term, but it's really about just extracting patterns from data. And you can do some extracting patterns by uh, sort of uh, some machine learning techniques. Uh, sometimes you can do it by sort of clustering and sort of those unsupervised kind of techniques. But then there's also kind of, you know, classic kind of data mining techniques. And, you know, I'd be curious about sort of the, the predictive versus prescriptive because predictive definitely you know, sounds and, you know, from my kind of very minimal understanding, it feels very similar to kind of machine learning work, but prescriptive, you know, from, from what I gather, at least it's, it's like, um, it kind of goes above and beyond. It's also, you know, how do you explain this decision, this decision that was made, you know, what are the implications of a particular decision that was made from a prediction? And so it kind of encompasses a little bit more, um, uh, but is that, is that generally how you remember kind of prescriptive uh, analytics? Yeah, exactly. So, like, if I translate what I studied to yeah. the work I'm doing now, to the work we are doing at uh, OLX Group, where I work, so I would say that prescriptive analytics, this is what data analysts do, and mm. predictive analytics is more what data scientists do. Um, yeah. But, um, like, in addition to, you know, building services. So, there yeah. at university, we were focusing more on, uh, you know, algorithms, but not on the, you know, actually putting this thing in production of course yeah. Um, yeah but yeah i think this is the from what i remember this was the main difference so prescriptive yeah. is going through the data and understanding what is there and then coming yeah. up with a report and this is what i see analysts doing my colleagues analysts are doing coming up with reports or dashboards 
and predictive analytics is coming up with a model. And then again, in BI, this model would, uh, you know, uh, continue, let's say, do some predictions for time series, and then you yeah. would put this on the dashboard. Uh, so things like this. Yeah, that, so makes, that this. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's funny, right? Like, I mean, I, I can totally imagine five years from now, right? Uh, you know, if we have this conversation again, I bet the names would have changed a little bit, right? And we'd be talking about a slightly different concept, but it feels kind of similar to what we've seen before. And I think that's just how it goes. Yeah, and uh, actually in the question that I put initially there, I wrote data science and then you left a comment saying, hey, let's not use the <laughs> science here because it's uh, too ambiguous, right? It can mean uh, too it's many It's too things. overloaded, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, at least to me, right? Like data science at different companies, like it can end up being just vastly different jobs, right? Um, and sometimes, I mean, I, honestly, like if somebody were interviewing for a data science role, I think it's pretty important to just ask the team Right, exactly what they mean, exactly the kinds of projects that you know they can imagine that the that the person will be doing, because it can mean everything from sort of you know you write some SQL and then you write some code to you build like these machine learning models, and so everything in that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you mentioned that uh, it's interesting how this would be different in five years, and uh, yeah. it's also curious to me how data science will be different in, uh, like in five years, right? In five yeah. years. And I mean, we're seeing some of those changes already, right? I think I saw uh, you interviewed somebody around analytics engineering. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, and, yeah, you know, exactly. that's a very recent thing, right? It's it's only maybe gains team in the last kind of six months to a year, right? So we're already seeing kind of a, a new thing emerge that probably is here to stay. Yeah, definitely. Then, uh, yeah, who knows what happens with uh, data scientists? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so can we actually say that, uh, so we talked about this predictive analytics and pres prescriptive analytics, can we say that machine learning is actually a part of analytics or there are two different things? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, hmm. so, uh, you know, maybe kind of, you know, putting the sort of predictive versus pres prescriptive kind of uh, aside, because there might be some connotations of, you know, being uh, a subset there. Um, I mean, to me, sort of analytics and machine learning, they feel like kind of distinct. Uh, I mean, I mean, the goals there are slightly different, right? So may maybe this is a good time to kind of uh, go into some, sort of them in a little bit more detail. You know, to, to me, sort of analytics is about looking at data in the past, right? So it's about looking at history and trying to understand what happened, right? So that you can answer certain questions. I mean, the data is there, right? So there's a true answer that you're looking for. Uh, assuming that you've collected the data, but it's about, you know, here's what happened. Um, whereas machine learning work is often about sort of looking at data in the past, but can you predict stuff in the future, right? It's, it's always kind of forward-looking. It's about making predictions, making forecasts. Um, and, you know, there, there's no kind of guarantees that you're going to get it right. It's about coming up with the best guess, right? So um, at least viewed from that lens, like they end up kind of, you know, being, uh, you know, kind of different things. Uh, although sort of they they might have shared sort of data infrastructure, they might have the same people working on them, but often the mentality and sort of the, the the sort of outcome of these two ends up being a little bit different. So yeah, coming back to your original question, um, I mean, you know, maybe some people would classify sort of machine learning as part of analytics, and maybe that's because you know often machine learning work begins in sort of like the the classic kind of analyst teams where they're like, you know, maybe here's a place where we could train a machine learning model. So maybe that's how it emerges at a few companies, but um, to me, they feel very different. Yeah, I, I saw in a couple of talks about data engineering. So data engineers um, 
at least in those talks that I saw, they refer to machine learning things as analytical workloads, like, you know, mm. analytical stuff. So they're like, you know, these things like training the model or yeah. scoring uh, customers, they would refer to this as analytical workloads. Because I guess from data engineering point of view, it's kind of similar. So you're going through yeah. the data, you're doing something with the, the data, and then you produce yeah. more data, right? Yeah. So from this point of view, maybe it's not that different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's possible. Look, I'll probably caveat this with the fact that uh, because I've been sort of in the field, so me, to me, maybe similar things also feel different, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, maybe somebody looking at it from a little bit of, the, of an outside, like it's just kind of the same thing. But yeah, I, I totally, I totally hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, analytics is looking in the history and then uh, describing what happened there. And uh, machine learning is more forward-looking, describing what yeah. will happen. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so for analytics, usually it's uh, data analysts working on this, right? And for machine learning, yeah, uh, yeah we can argue whether it's data scientists or somebody else on yeah. doing machine learning, right? But let's say it's data scientists, right? So what kind of work they do, people who work with machine learning? Um, yeah. Like what does the day-to-day -day work look like? Yeah, so um, so kind of the starting point for that is, you know, what is the, what is the outcome, right? What is the, what is the thing that a data sort of science team, machine learning team is producing, right? And typically it's, it's going to be sort of a, a, either a live running system, which basically you submit kind of questions to it and it returns with the prediction, right? So something that is like a machine learning model behind like an API, right? So that's like a system, live system that they're producing or they might be producing sort of um, predictions that are computed on a daily basis and then stored into a database, right? Such that they can be consumed by uh, let's say the product later on, right? So if you, if you think about it, you know, it's, it's a live system that they're producing and there are sort of predictions to be made, you know, you can imagine that some of the work that they're doing is figuring out how do we make sort of the prediction quality better, right? And that involves like a whole set of kind of machine learning activities, right? Gathering data, labeling data, training models, um, hyperparameter tuning. Um, and then you get into some of the more, um, you know, system aspects, which is how do you actually deploy it, right? Um, you know, what are the SLAs that maybe the live system needs to produce, right? So maybe... Yeah, you know, I, you know, many, many companies kind of, uh, you know, have fraud teams, right? Like that are trying to detect fraud. And some initially they start out as kind of rules-based activities, but eventually they kind of, you know, transition into doing some machine learning. And then with fraud, you kind of have to catch that reasonably early, right? Um, for example, if you're onboarding somebody and, uh, um, you know, you wait like a few days, that might already be too late. So, um, you know, it's about, so they often have to think a lot about kind of these SLAs for the system. So it's, you know, again, coming back to sort of the original question, it's, uh, I think like machine learning folks, like often spend a bunch of machine learning engineers, at least like often spend a bunch of the time. How do we improve quality of the predictions, um, you know, when we're training the model, but also on an ongoing basis. And then sort of how do we improve the system? Um, uh, such that, you know, it actually is performant from, you know, a software perspective. Mm -hmm. Has that been your experience uh, as well? Yeah, and interesting that you mentioned that uh, machine learning often started in companies in these fraud uh, teams. They first yeah. started with uh, rule-based systems and then uh, yeah. added um, machine learning. So this is actually, to my knowledge, this is what also happened at 2 Elix group. 
So it mm. was before I joined, but uh, as far as I know, so this is the first big use case um, of machine learning at Tulix Group. Yeah. It was like five years ago, or maybe now seven years ago. Like it was yeah. way back, I like before I joined. So this is interesting that you mentioned, and yeah, the experience. Um, from what I saw, it's very similar that uh, there is this system aspect, or I would call it maybe engineering aspect. Yeah. That, uh, you know, it's not enough just to um, create uh, a model, uh, I don't know, logistic regression, like you learn. You also need to um, take care of other things. And this is what data yeah. scientists uh, do, or you can call them machine learning engineers, but this is what needs to happen to be, yeah. uh, to, to be able to use the model. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, I mean, I know we're going a little kind of off, off script here, but, you know, the, the rules-based system into machine learning is always kind of fascinating because, um, I mean, I think a lot of sophisticated machine learning fraud detection teams also still continue to use a lot of rules. And I mean, the simple reason is like rules are really fast, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody can just like see some data write a rule and have that deployed in like one hour compared to, you know, training a machine learning model with maybe that as a feature or maybe like separate model, which can take on the order of weeks. So it's about like, you know, kind of the speed that you get. And, you know, I was recently talking to uh, sort of a, a team that does um, kind of fraud detection and, you know, so they'll have like a team that is kind of coming up with these rules and kind of getting these deployed. And then eventually, you know, if, if a rule is kind of important enough, it'll become like a feature in a model um, or sort of become its own model at some point, um, whereas some rules will kind of die away because those patterns don't work anymore. Um, and it's, it's kind of this constant uh, uh, kind of battle that is going on. Exactly. And these rules, uh, at least uh, what we have at Elix is uh, we have like a UI where fraud specialists yeah. awesome. uh, just go yeah. there, click uh, a button, and then they have a rule. And then they can yeah. see how effective this rule is. Uh, yeah. All these things with machine learning, it would take a few more iterations to, to actually do yeah. this. And yes, speaking of that, so like we just talked about the rule, and then we see how effective it is, all these um, you know, charts. Uh, um, so I guess this is something that maybe analysts would do, like doing some sort of uh, analytics. Let's say we have a rule, and then hmm. going there and understanding how this rule yeah. Uh, if, how it is effective, right? And uh, what is the, I don't know, like uh, false positive rate and uh, things like this. Yeah. Is this something that analysts would do, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think, for example, uh, like you might have either, sometimes it can be an analyst, sometimes it might be sort of a fraud specialist, as you said, mm -hmm. right? Or an operations person who might define the rule, right? Because it was relevant in that kind of given moment. But then it might actually be sort of a, like an analytics team or analyst who actually looks at sort of, you know, performance of that rule um, you know, on an ongoing basis, right? Like which rules actually continue to work, which rules actually flagged important stuff. Um, and then as they gather, you know, sort of the, the true labels, right? Whether a particular transaction or particular user was fraudulent or not, like, yeah, then they'll be sort of uh, comparing this and saying, you know, these last 20 rules are not working anymore. Maybe we should get rid of them. Or, uh, um, you know, they might actually even kind of look at uh, sort of once they have that true data, Right, which were uh, fraudulent or not, they might actually have a good sense of, you know, here are the kinds of examples that were still not caught, right? Um, and so they might be providing those recommendations, guidance. But yeah, absolutely, this would be mm -hmm. some of the work that uh, an analytics team might do. So this, uh, so this term, prescriptive analytics. Uh, so, mm -hmm. I, so here, so an, an analyst, a team of analysts would do analysis. They would analyze all the rules, and then they say, okay, these twenty rules. 
uh, are not working anymore and then they kind of prescribe they say okay throw these rules away they're useless right, right. so this would yeah. be a prescription that's why it's right like they they have some sort of report at the end, some sort of recommendation, some sort of decision. Yeah. Okay, we analyze the data. This is yeah. what you should do based on our analysis. Like, would you say this is the main outcome of the analytical work? It's definitely one of them. I mean, I think um, if I were to look at a few different things that like an analyst would be expected to do, right? There are some things that are, you know, uh, like ad hoc queries, right? That they'll be asked to do because, you know, their boss or their boss's boss will say, hey, I need the answer to this question, right? Uh, and I need this because I'm presenting to person X or team X and, and this needs to be in my slides, right? So uh, the, the person, the, the sort of, the, the analyst will probably go to their kind of favorite SQL client, you know, write some queries and get that answer, right? So these are, that's, that's probably like, I mean, depending on the sort of teams that can often be, you know, close to 100% of uh, of the work uh, although probably shouldn't be 100 percent um so it's that's kind of one aspect of like their their work okay, right the second of uh, yeah. for example this request could be like hey what are the um well, i don't know uh, success uh, ratio for the this rules right. was the last month right right because we want to did we have a board meeting and we want to show yeah. how our team is effective right how effective yeah. it is please prepare I mean, this i needed to absolutely software. yeah so, i mean they could be answering sort of all sorts of questions like you know how many kind of uh, you know fraudulent cases were found how many were caught in time right what was the sort of overall damage you know uh, or whatever the right word is that was caused by kind of the fraudulent activities um yeah there's there's so many kind of interesting questions there right so it's like part of that part of the, their work is this part of that is you know i think you were referencing sort of coming up with these reports and recommendations which is absolutely a super important piece of uh, piece of work right for example if a data science or data analyst person is kind of embedded in a in a product team right then often they're working closely with the product manager to say you know if we build this feature right it's probably going to kind of impact you know this kind of user uh, this is maybe how how we can kind of model the uh, sort of improvements or maybe a particular hit on some business metric if this gets released to kind of 100% um, of traffic versus maybe if it was only released to 2%. So there's all kinds of questions there, right, uh, that they might be helping product teams with. Um, and then there's a whole set of activities that uh, sort of a data analyst might be doing when it comes to, let's say, integrating different uh, sort of data sets, right? So they might already be, be working with certain uh, data sets in their uh, sort of database, but then, you know, let's say they, they, they find like an API, right, for a completely different new data set, which has some signal for them, right? So they might probably spend some time exploring that data, seeing what that can bring when joined with their existing data. So there's a bunch of activities there. And of course, like, you know, one of the kind of maybe unsaid parts of a lot of this data work uh, is, you know, often a lot of education needs to kind of go into it, right? So uh, you know, whether it's data analysts, data scientists, or data leaders often, right? Like they spend a lot of time, you know, telling people, this is actually what you can achieve. This is what you can't achieve uh, with the kinds of things that we're doing. And here's maybe the question that you should be asking before you make important decisions, right? So there's, there's a lot of kind of, you know, in, important work that goes on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, in my experience, I see that analysts help a lot with, uh, let's say there is um, a new project potential project that uh, let's say we think that machine learning will help and uh, so what analysts often help with is understanding the size of the problem right uh, and then seeing okay like maybe actually just 10 users complained about this 
Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's not actually worth uh, solving it, or uh, like maybe yeah. let's give it the uh, lower priority because there is this thing where ten thousand user complaint, or I don't know, uh, a lot of users yeah. versus this one, uh, like it seems to affect fewer users. And then the other thing I noticed is um, I'm a data scientist myself, and I noticed that data analysts know data a lot better than me, so they know. Mm where things are so if i need to, to find something uh usually i, I use this uh, hack i would just go to an analyst and say hey i need to find <laughs> this data can you help yeah. me and then they yeah. would hey, here you go this is a sql query you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can uh, just go with this and yeah it, it saves a lot of time so i think yeah, data for sure data a lot better than uh, you know than me for sure but maybe for uh, better than an average data scientist as yeah well. So I imagine they spent uh, the entire day crunching this data, like yep. uh, doing all these uh, queries and then doing reports. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly it, right? That's that's where they spend a bulk of their time. And so they are the experts, right? And often I think a lot of data analytics work is, you know, tying sort of, you know, what data we have to important kind of business metrics. So they have like a very kind of, you know, at least senior folks who've kind of spent time with their data, they have like a very keen sense of, you know, what to look for, what are common gotchas, right? Like what are the things that are commonly go wrong, right? Like there, there might be kind of classic things where, you know, oh, to make this query work and get you the right data, you have to add this where clause, right? If you don't write this where clause then you'll get a bunch of kind of garbage data, right? And often like that kind of knowledge is, um, is kind of with specific people. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh, even if it's documented, maybe it's uh, yeah. in, in wiki somewhere where nobody, uh, you know, nobody yeah. looks at, but these people, they know, and they would just say, hey, yeah. your query is wrong. So here's the good one. Yeah. There are uh, folks building kind of good tools for sort of this documentation, but honestly, uh, I've, I've kind of yet to see like documentation systems for this that really work. And I hope we get there because uh, otherwise it's kind of hard to scale. Mm-hmm. So was it something? Actually, I had a I had a quick question around yeah. like you know you mentioned you know at OLX sometimes like analysts would kind of help answer questions of like you know it only affects ten people. Uh, do you find like uh, uh, like you know analysts are kind of often brought in at the right time to be able to answer those questions? Or how often are their recommendations heeded? Yeah, so uh, we use. Um... Like the, the setup is um, uh, we are embedding data scientists and data analysts mm. in teams. So yeah. yes, uh, usually it happens at the right time. Nice. Hopefully nice. in most of them. Yeah. Like sometimes cool. it uh, didn't happen and then we ended up spending time on something we shouldn't have. But I guess yeah. it happens uh, uh, to everyone, right? <laughs> so yeah. Sometimes. No, that's that's awesome, honestly, because <laughs> I think there's, there's plenty of kind of stories of like a product manager saying, hey, this is the coolest feature that needs to be built. And often you can write a simple query to say that this will only affect like, you know, a small number of people, maybe not worth it. And it doesn't happen in time, but that's that's awesome to hear. Yeah, we actually call our data analysts, uh, not data analysts, but product analysts. They work mm. very closely with uh, product managers. And um, yeah. so they are also, they are more, a lot, they're quite into the product work. So they are mm-hmm. very product oriented, I would say. Yeah. Um, so it, it definitely helps that they're close to the product and they, they know what is important for users and what is uh, not important uh, for users. They know it a lot better than data scientists, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think data scientists uh, need to learn a lot from product analysts uh, yeah. when it comes to yeah. that, to understanding what is uh, important for the product. But it's good that we work together so we can always learn uh, from each That's other. That's awesome. 
And uh, I, when I think about this, I think that data science work or machine learning work is more experimental than analytics. So in data science, you have a hypothesis, right? You have a hypothesis that you want to test and you build some model um, or something simple and then you test this hypothesis. While in analytics, uh, at least I might be wrong uh, because I never worked in an, as an analyst myself, but I think uh, it's less experimental, right? So they, it's uh, more clear what they need to do because there is uh, some ad hoc query or some report they need to do. Uh, do you think this is the correct observation? Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's definitely fair. I mean, one of the things is that both types of work are fairly iterative, right? So uh, you have to kind of you know try something, see if it works. Try try something slightly different, see if it works. So in the world of kind of analysts, right, like they're often kind of iterating on um, kind of different kind of versions of SQL, right? Like I know kind of analysts who have like thousands of lines long SQL queries. Right. And they're kind of making small changes as they understand, you know, something new about the business. They want to add something uh, slightly different to the to the query. So there's often like this iterative work, but it's it is still kind of in the service of finding something that is kind of true. Right. Like an answer that is true based on sort of the history of the business and the data that's been collected. Whereas with uh, with sort of machine learning work, you're right. It is it is kind of fairly experimental, and so the, the iterations themselves are the experiments. Right. So you might have experiments that are running sort of you know, pre-deployment where you're just testing out a bunch of different models, uh, you're testing out different features, you're testing out different hyperparameters. So there's a bunch of experiments going on there. Um, and then there are sort of, depending on sort of the scale of the company and uh, their sort of infrastructure setup, you might be doing sort of uh, experiments on live traffic, right? Uh, before kind of releasing the full model to prod, you might be running them in shadow mode, or you might be sort of, you know, you know, doing kind of these A-B tests with model. And so definitely it feels, it feels very experimental. Um, I mean, a lot of machine learning is just kind of, you know, empirical results on kind of, you know, the data that you're seeing and observing, right? There's no kind of, you know, who knows what the, the, the right perfect model is. It's just, you know, this is working best, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the guiding principle. So yeah, yeah, I, I think that, 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 the, that sort of data science and machine learning work being experimental makes sense. And uh, from what I see, again, uh, not only at Olix, but also in other companies that, uh, so we talked about this ex experiments on live traffic, usually it's A-B tests or it can be shadow, shadow uh, testing. Yeah. So this analysis of A-B tests or whatever live experiments is often also done by analysts, right? Mm. Or together with data scientists. So it's uh, data scientists or machine learning engineers or ENT machine learning engineers work together, let's say on setting up experiment, um, you know, having two versions of model, like baseline model and new model improved. Yeah. And then, then together with analysts, they analyze the results and see, uh, okay, let's say we have an uplift here, but why yeah. this uplift happens? Like, is there any specific segment of users uh, where this uplift uh, happened or it, an uplift across all the cohorts, all the segments? Yeah. So this yeah. is something that uh, analysts would do. So they would dig in, or especially mm. when experiments go wrong, when they are not successful. Uh, yeah. Like why, why it happened, why it happened, why a new model that was perfect in offline experiments yeah. resulted in uh, not uplift, but even like the performance was worse yeah. than the baseline. Like why did it happen? And then maybe there is one specific category where it was bad and in other categories yeah. it was good. And this is something that often... Uh, 
uh, analysts do or help a lot with doing this kind of work. Yeah, I mean, I can totally see that. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier as well, right? Often, like, you know, you'll have analysts who are much closer to sort of the business metrics, right? And their understanding of kind of, you know, what is actually improving the top line or sort of improving the bottom line in whatever uh, respect, right? And having somebody who, um, you know, is helping the machine learning team kind of keep very close tabs on, you know, is it actually moving the needle or not, right? That is that is pretty important. And, you know, I think like, uh, you know, there are some machine learning teams where, you know, they have that sort of mentality and they have that sort of expertise built in. Uh, but uh, if not, right, sort of uh, the model that uh, that you're talking about, I mean, that's that's perfect. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so maybe we can uh, summarize a bit. So what, in your opinion, are overlaps? What are the similarities between yeah. machine learning and ana- analytics? Yeah, so, I mean, in terms of similarities, I mean, it's the data is the biggest one, right? Like the, these are both kind of two professions which heavily rely on, uh, I mean, without data, nothing works. And without, you know, good data quality, nothing works. Um, and whenever it comes to data, you're you're kind of dealing with problems of, you know, how do you store it efficiently? How do you process it efficiently? How do you know where this data is coming from? And how do you make sure that sort of, you know, data quality errors are kind of caught as early as possible? So you have all of these data similarities. Um, I think we talked about sort of them being both iterative, right? Like you just have to kind of, you know, nothing is ever quite done, right? Not even a SQL is ever quite perfect because there's probably something that is that is missing and models for sure, right? Like models break all the time and you need to kind of keep updating them. Um, and one of the other, I mean, things is that at least today, like often it feels like the same people are kind of working on both analytic stuff and sort of machine learning stuff. Um, I think there are teams where sort of this kind of, or at least within teams, you'll have specialization where somebody kind of does, you know, a bulk of like just working with SQL and somebody does kind of more uh, of the machine learning and modeling stuff, but it still feels that like there's, you know, there, there can be a lot of interchange there. Um, and of course, when compared to kind of software, right, they're both fairly less mature, right, as, as ecosystems and sort of processes and, you know, how to actually do stuff. So there's a lot to, there, there's a lot that will change. And, you know, there's a lot of change that is going on already, but there's a lot that will change about how this work gets done. So I think in my head, at least those are roughly the, the similarities. And then sort of differences, right? Like, um, I mean, it's, it's to me, some, some of the differences come from, like, what are the use cases that they address, right? So analytics is typically kind of helping the business understand uh, you know, what actually happened, what worked, what didn't work. So the use cases are often very internal facing, right? It's for the team themselves, like the organization themselves. Whereas for machine learning, often since they're uh, like, there, there can be internal facing stuff, right? Like forecasting, right? What, what revenues do we forecast? But a lot of it is actually like making predictions on kind of um, like for users, right? Like, uh, you know, things that actually directly will impact users. Things like yeah, we were talking about fraud, right? Like who to uh, who to kind of whose transactions to block, right? What users to kind of uh, stop in some capacity. So there'll be a lot of external facing kind of uh, stuff there. I think we talked about differences around, you know, what are the outputs of these two data streams? So with analytics, you have things like dashboards, reports, whereas with machine learning stuff, you have systems that are being, that are the output, right? So it's a live system that you have to kind of keep running. Um, and again, with systems, right, like you often see that they can be fairly real time, right? Um, so you're talking about sort of SLAs of like, you know, return in like 200 milliseconds, return a prediction in 200 milliseconds. Whereas if you think about like analytic stuff, right, there people are comparing week on week, right? Like uh, what are the, how are business metrics changing? 
which is like a completely different time scale to be thinking about problems on. Um, and of course, there are sort of different technologies, different tools, uh, the ecosystem, there's like slight, slight differences there. So, but anyway, that's, uh, I can probably go on for longer, but yeah, those are some of the, the key similarities, differences in my mind. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes and I don't think you missed anything. Uh, yeah, apart from maybe uh, uh, like the analysts, I think, no, maybe data a bit more, uh, like a bit better than data scientists. Yeah. Because they tend to spend a lot more time with that. And you said because of the output is uh, in case of analysts, uh, dashboards and uh, uh, reports, which involves yeah. a lot of SQL, a lot of data understanding, while for yep. data scientists, they spend more time on systems rather than uh, you know analyzing data. Yeah. I mean, maybe like even to maybe contradict myself a little bit on this. I mean, I, I do think that some of the, the best scientists like have a very keen understanding of the business, right? Because without that, you know, sometimes you'll just make bad decisions about what to prioritize and what not to prioritize. So, you know, the best kind of data scientists, in my opinion, like very clo closely understand, you know, why they're working on something and how that'll impact kind of, um, you know, the key metrics for the, for the team and the company. Uh, but as a rough guiding stick, I think uh, mm -hmm. you're right that I think like analysts who spend a lot of time in SQL working with business metrics directly, like often they they kind of uh, have a much closer sense of it. Maybe the same is true for analysts. So analysts who spent uh, not just time in SQL, but also spent some time programming and uh, doing a bit of, I don't know if actually analysts do this, like the system aspects, but definitely, uh, you know, doing a bit of programming, doing some uh, I don't know, Python and things like this. Um, yeah, I think these probably are also great analysts, right? So those yeah. who, well, like for data scientists, for machine learning engineers who go and check, uh, you know, go outside yeah. of the typical day-to-day -day yeah. work and, uh, yeah. you know, do some business analytics, right? What, what is good for business, maybe for analysts who do and uh, check uh, data science and then how to do this whole machine learning stuff there. Uh, yeah, also very beneficial for them, right? No, absolutely. And I mean, I think it comes down to using the right tool, right? So if the existing tool, let's say SQL, right, doesn't kind of get you the answers that you need, and maybe you need to, you know, run some analysis with pandas, right, with in a in a Jupyter notebook or something. I mean, then you know, it's it's amazing if the the sort of analysts themselves can just spin that up and you know write whatever code they need to. Um, I, I do believe that, like, you know, until recently maybe i mean it probably wasn't the easiest right to set up like uh, virtual environments and jupyter notebooks for people who are less familiar and we're seeing sort of like a, a move into you know notebooks that are much more inclusive right which allow you to kind of write sql and then python sort of in the same environment and a lot of things are taken care of for you uh so i think as more and more of that happens right it'll become easier and easier for uh, you know the you know the story that you told of like a data analyst who does mostly sql writes a little bit of code for that to become easier. Now you are talking about this, um, remember this, uh, not Jupyter notebooks, but the other sort of notebooks, I think Zeppelin, Zeppelin notebooks. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I, I don't know, I don't think it got much traction, but uh, the idea there was that you can write SQL query uh, in one cell and then you can write uh, some yeah. Spark code in the second cell. And yeah. Then you can write some Pandas code and then yeah. create this nice, uh, uh, reports immediately in your dashboard. Yeah, so that was. Uh, yeah, I, I personally yeah. never used Zeppelin. I mean, to me, Zeppelin was always like if you're 
you know, if you're kind of working with the Hadoop ecosystem, it's probably like a better thing. I mean, I, I guess I, I know a few people who use it, but um, I mean, I, I probably won't name names, but like there are a couple of BI tools today that, uh, for example, in the same kind of interface will allow you to switch between sort of a, a notebook experience and sort of a SQL client. There's a couple of uh, smaller companies that make SQL and Python running in similar cells possible. And, you know, they're seeing some amount of traction. So um, maybe maybe the time wasn't quite right, right? When yeah, kind of Zeppelin came out five, six years ago or something. Uh, maybe the time is right now, but who knows? Yeah. So, right. So we already have some questions. Uh, so awesome. So the question is, uh, do you see over-investment in organizations? Organizations invest more in machine learning and under-invest in analytics. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know if I have, a, I have a clear answer to that. I mean, I probably at the, at the highest level, I would imagine that there is generally underinvestment in sort of data teams. Um, uh, I mean, just in terms of kind of the value that like, you know, a couple of like uh, good sort of data people who have, a, who have kind of the right infrastructure and set up, like the value that they can bring is often very outsized compared to the, the sort of resources that are spent on them. A, between sort of machine learning and uh, data analytics, it's possible. I mean, Look, sometimes like, uh, you know, folks work, you know, sort of in executive kind of uh, positions were kind of making this, these decisions, like often they're kind of relying on, you know, external factors, right? So they might kind of, you know, read this, you know, piece from McKinsey or whatever, right? Like without kind of going into details there. And it's like, look, machine learning is like the, the kind of the hot thing right now, right? And we should kind of have like a team, we should have like be doing this. So I, I could, I could totally see that happening. Uh, but it's, it's hard for me to say that kind of without numbers, but uh, I mean, generally, I think like more investment in this stuff is probably better. Um, but uh, as long as kind of we also start from, you know, investing in sort of uh, analytics and uh, uh, sort of machine learning, like there's often like a core investment in data infrastructure that often also needs to be made along the side. Um, and I think that's often like the most kind of underappreciated uh, and underserved part of it. But um, yeah, so the, the question uh, continues. So the, or it's more like a comment. I see a lot uh, of organizations hiring lots of data scientists while forgetting uh, about data analysts and forgetting to upskill others. Um, yeah. So perhaps, uh, yeah, the data science looks more sexy perhaps. Like, you know, yeah. people talk about machine learning, robots, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's cooler. Right. And, uh, you know, dashboards and, uh, okay, like, let's yeah. hire a bunch of data scientists, uh, put them in a room and let yeah. them magic. Unfortunately, that sounds, that sounds very true, right? Like it's, it's data science. I mean, that's kind of why, like, I typically want to kind of stay away from like the term data science as much as possible, just because it becomes so broad where, you know, using that phrase, you can kind of, you can convince like how like sexy, like a particular job can be. Right. But maybe the person actually gets into that organization and they realize that, you know, there's no kind of amazing machine learning model that they get to train. Right. There's just like these more kind of important pressing uh, business problems that can be answered with SQL and just like, you know, getting your data into a better shape. Right. That just, you know, that's that's what the business needs at that moment. Right. So you, you often like, you know, you'll have some amount of dissatisfaction. Right. For uh, for people who are hired in. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess it's kind of an unfortunate, I would imagine transitionary period uh, sort of in, uh, in our life, right? So maybe five, seven years from now, 
things will be a little bit better defined. Um, these roles will be a little bit clearer, and hopefully, sort of the the importance and uh, sort of the value that data analyst you know analysts kind of bring to the table, right? Hopefully, that will sort of also be sort of reasonably clear, right? And it's not that you know data scientists are here and data analysts are here because yeah. that's just not true. Yeah, that's definitely not true. And uh, from what I see, it's actually. And I talked to some uh, some people who are hiring both data scientists and data analysts. And one of the comments that was a bit surprising for me, but then I thought in retrospect, it probably makes sense. So they, they told me that it's a lot more difficult to find a senior analyst than a senior hmm. data scientist. Hmm. Uh, have you seen this? And do you have any ideas why it might be the case? Um. Yeah, not not hundred percent sure. I mean, if I were to make a guess for why that could happen, it's it's likely because, um, you know, maybe data analysts kind of uh, like senior data analysts or who spend that some time doing that, right? Like if they find sort of like a, uh, like a differential in the amount of money that they can make, right, by just moving to sort of a data science role, right? I mean, that's, that seems like a no-brainer, right? And they should be doing that. I mean, it's also possible that I, I've seen like some data analysts actually make the transition from, you know, just kind of writing kind of SQL and understanding the company's data to becoming much more um, like almost infrastructure people, right? Because they understand what it takes to sort of have successful and kind of high-performing analyst teams. So like, and maybe like this analytics engineer kind of is, is a trend in that direction. Right, where they're less about kind of writing, um, you know, more SQL queries and answering more direct questions from business, but more about structuring and setting up the data sets in a way uh, where it's, you know, it's it's kind of it makes it easier downstream, right? So there's probably sort of like moves that sort of analysts would make either in the direction of you know data science or sort of a little bit more upstream when it comes to infrastructure, but. Uh, yeah, um, uh, hiring I think generally is pretty hard right now uh, for a lot of folks. But yeah, I, I can imagine that uh, analysts might be a little bit harder than mm -hmm. normal. I also noticed that some analysts they uh, mainly go to the data science path, mainly switch yeah. uh, careers from data analytics to data science, but also mainly go to product. So they become product mm. managers. Not yeah. many, but I saw multiple. So because data scientists are quite close to product. Yeah. So they uh, realize that they like this product management work yeah. and they become product managers. That's super interesting, yeah. yeah. So maybe by the time they, uh, well, let's say they are not senior uh, analysts and now they, they see, okay, there's this data science or this product management work, and then they just switch and uh, uh, not so many people uh, get yeah. to the senior uh position i don't know yeah i also i, I hope that changes if that's true i hope yeah. that changes yeah, yeah. so may maybe because uh, as you said uh, yeah maybe it does look like uh, in industry data science looks more sexy right because, yeah you know there's certainly more hype around this yeah. uh, than analytics because analytics has been around uh, i don't know the three four decades right while data Probably. science is <laughs> yeah. something more uh, fresh yeah. At least in uh, when it comes to you know we had this data mining of course which yeah. is very old but uh... yeah it's it's kind of funny I think I don't remember where I was reading this but sort of even the terms of kind of data mining like uh, they're not very popular when they started because um, there was something kind of uh, I mean people felt a bit icky about the fact that like like 
you're having to rely on sort of empirical data to come up with like right decisions, right? And you just don't, you don't fully understand the problem deeply, right? Like from your heart, right? So like the practice of kind of digging into actual data to figure out like, you know, what is correct and what is right. Like it was kind of frowned upon, I think when it began, uh, but it's kind of funny that like today, like you know, everything kind of seems to run on data and everybody's all about data. Yeah. Wow. Thanks. So we have another question. So should our team work independently or together? So let's assume we have a machine learning team and analytics team in our company. So should we put them in one room or should we put them in separate rooms? That's, yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, so uh, maybe I'll caveat this with, uh, look, my sort of experience with this is is limited and I rely on a lot of kind of other smart people who've written stuff about this. But there are two aspects to uh, like uh, two aspects to kind of where they should sit. One is from the perspective of kind of like what is the management and reporting structure, right? So who do they report into? Um, how is their sort of career and growth evaluated? So that's one direction. And the other direction is, you know, what are the kinds of projects that they do and how fast are they able to kind of work on them and deliver business value? And that's the second. Um, in terms of the first, uh, generally, like it seems that like data people like to be managed by uh, sort of other data people, or at least people who understand sort of, you know, what data can do, what data can't do, right? And some of the challenges with data. So if you ask sort of somebody maybe who's like a business leader, or maybe who is um, like even an engineering leader doesn't really work with data to manage data people, like that can often be a little tricky, right? Because they're just challenges are kind of unique. Um, but when it comes to the actual projects that they do, Right, it can be super valuable to have the the data person embedded. Right, I think uh, Alexi, you were mentioning this for OLX, right? Because they are then able to, you know, they have very close access to what that team needs, what are the business metrics that that team is tracking, what actually works, what doesn't work, um, and so their feed, their their cycles are much faster. They're, ma- they're able to make progress much faster. Um, uh, some of the some of the challenges that they run into then is if you're too independent, then they're sort of learnings across different data people uh, percolating to everybody else, that can often take a bit of a hit. But then again, if there is sort of a common sort of reporting structure, hopefully like the manager who, uh, you know, is directly managing like these five or six data analysts or data scientists, um, they should be able to kind of take the common learnings and sort of help the broader team. But yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's kind of reasonably um, uh, sort of team dependent, but as long as there are ways for, sort of common learnings to be shared and be adopted by the rest of the team. Um, and there are, you know, they, they can be embedded where they're learning from the business domain very fast. That's probably the best outcome. Um, and this probably stops being true once the team reaches like a very large scale, because uh, then, you know, there's probably too many data scientists to have like centralized reporting, but um, at least until like organizations are like thousand or so people, they should uh, uh, work. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that data people like to report to data people, because what I saw when data science just appeared, that it wasn't clear what part of hierarchy, what part of structure a data team belongs to. Like, should they report to product director or, I don't know, VP of product? Should they report to engineering director? Should they be engineering, uh, part of the engineering organization? And it's still like, well, not clear, like data science, for example, like maybe it's closer to engineering, but then uh, analytics yeah. is closer to product. Like it's not clear. Um, 
<laughs> where to put them. So yeah. right now, for example, at Elix, we have this, we have chief data officer and then we have the entire like sort of pillar. Right. I don't know if I can say that. So basically like entire hierarchy coming from the chief data officer uh, down to, you know, data analysts and data scientists. And I see more and more companies are doing that, uh, realizing yeah. that this is an important thing to do. Yeah. And, and then coming to this, uh, should they sit independently or together? What I also notice is sometimes like a bit of both works. Mm. Because if analysts are getting constantly getting distracted by ad hoc queries, yeah. which often happens, right? So yeah. let's say they are sitting in a team. So they are working on some product uh, uh, things like understanding the impact of uh, something. And then somebody comes and says, hey, I need this report for uh, a board meeting tomorrow, right? So yeah. they okay, what do I do here? So, and yeah. uh, so what I see is sometimes there is a team who is doing, taking care of these ad hoc requests. Yeah. Uh, like perhaps uh, like larger organizations can afford that, right? Yeah. Uh, so they can afford a team, independent team for doing these kind of things. Mm. And at Toilix, we had actually a BI department that was taking care of this ad hoc request and also building um, some sort of infrastructure to enable self-service for nice. Business. Yeah. So that's yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that yeah, sounds reasonable as well. If there's kind of common kind of infrastructure work that is being done by a separate team. And I mean, <laughs> I'm guessing like the analysts must be happy that some of the ad hoc requests can be uh, sent over somebody else. Only <laughs> some, some unfortunately. Some. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> not all. So the yeah. embedded mode, I think, works really well. Yeah. Still, analysts sometimes get too many ad hoc requests. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the reporting into data, like when I say data people, it doesn't ha like have that much to do with the title. It's about like, does the person kind of understand some of the natural challenges with data, right? Like I'll, I'll give you like a, like a fictional example, I guess, right? So sometimes like data has like all sorts of weird problems, right? And a good kind of analyst or scientist like would basically look at that and say, there's something really fishy here, right? And I better kind of investigate, right? And the ideal thing to happen would be like, if they're being kind of very paranoid and diligent about, and which you should be like about the quality of data, like they, like they should be able to spend, you know, hours to maybe a few days just investigating like where is this kind of record coming from right and now if you go to somebody who hasn't kind of faced these things before they'll be like well just ignore it it doesn't matter right but you know like that can have all sorts of negative consequences down the line and uh, um you know almost like what you should what you need there is kind of like support right it's like yeah like this is probably important and then for the data person to just like go into detail and explain like, okay, here are all of the problems that can happen downstream. Like that's, that's not, that's not ideal. Right. So um, at yeah. least that's, that's kind of my, my thought process on uh, yeah reporting. So last week we talked about, uh, so we had a guest um, and we were talking about building data teams. And uh, so Tammy uh, Liang was there talking about uh, her experience. And then she suggested if she would start uh, again building a data team. So she would start with hiring a data engineer then uh, yeah. hiring a business analyst and data analyst, preferably senior uh, data analyst, and only then hire a data scientist after mm. these uh, two, three people. Right? Would you say um, you would do it the same way? Like, would you hire an engineer and then an analyst and then data scientist, or you would change something in this approach? 
I mean, so, I mean, seems seems pretty reasonable, and I'm sure Tammy has like uh, a lot of good experience to kind of back that up. I mean, I think data engineer, somebody who can just get stuff into a good place, that is like pretty critical, right? No, not much work can happen without that. Um, and I think for most companies, this this strategy seems reasonable. There are probably some companies that are very kind of machine learning focused, right? So their entire product might just be kind of like uh, like a machine learning thing, right? Um, and this could be everything from like, you know, self-driving sort of in like the very extreme case to even kind of, you know, smaller models that are, you know, in fintech or healthcare. Um, and so there, when the core business is kind of machine learning, right, then sort of the team structure ends up developing very differently. And it's like, you know, often it's like, it'll, it might be like a set of PhD students, right, or like, you know, not students, but like folks with PhDs uh, who get started. And then you add sort of engineers once you have to take certain prototypes and sort of productionize them. Uh, but for most teams, I think that that advice from Tammy seems pretty reasonable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, like we talked about that um, companies tend to uh, over invest into data science and underinvest yeah. in data analytics. But um, yeah, maybe when they hire a person who knows in which order people should be hired, maybe that yeah. will change things. So. Uh, maybe if we still see that uh, there's overinvestment in data science, maybe we just, uh, so these organizations are not mature yet. So maybe they need to hire somebody like some chief data officer or right. chief data kind of person who would then yeah. uh, structure hiring, right? So this yeah. is the order in which we should hire people. So first yeah. we need to have data, data engineers, you have infrastructure, then data analysts already to make use of data and then only then data scientists. Right. Yeah, uh, uh, that that sounds that sounds pretty nice, and hopefully more and more organizations move in that direction. Yeah. So before we finish, I wanted to ask you about your uh, newsletter. So maybe can you tell us a few yeah. words about this? So what are you writing about? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, so a friend of mine and I, you know, we had been, uh, you know, for maybe years, like we'd been kind of trading notes and trading stuff about things that we're seeing in the world of machine learning, and especially you know not so much research, but much more. How do you take machine learning and make it work in production? Um, and then sometime last year, we just decided that, you know, maybe uh, we should just take some of the stuff that we're discussing and then put it into a newsletter uh, and at least share it with some of our friends, right? And so that's how we kind of got started. Um, and, you know, even kind of today, like we just, uh, we just think about what are the common challenges that teams are facing uh, in production with machine learning, right? So all sorts of stuff around, you know, some system stuff, some machine learning stuff, um, and then I just, how do you make these systems kind of work? Um, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, that's, that's something that we've been focused on. I mean, the, the sort of overall, uh, ecosystem is, you know, uh, like folks kind of call it sort of MLOps. Um, and, uh, so our newsletter is called the MLOps roundup. It's on Substack. Um, uh, yeah, please do check it out and let us know if you have any thoughts or feedback. Yeah. I just realized that I mispronounced it at the beginning. I I always I kept reading it MLOps rounds and you didn't correct me so it's <laughs> it's all good I think I should have um, uh, I didn't kind of write out the name explicitly uh, and I should have <laughs> yeah the, but the link is correct so because I copy pasted yeah. it so the link is fine so if you yeah. so the, I, I'll put uh, the link in the description of course uh, thanks do how can people find you um, so yeah please uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, so my Twitter handle is. Uh, uh, R, well, it's Rish underscore Bhargav, which is uh, R-I-S-H underscore my last name. And then otherwise, you know, feel free to, uh, um, if you're, I mean, I'm on the Data Talks uh, Slack channel. So feel free to find me and send me a message. Always happy to chat. 
Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for this fruitful discussion. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks everyone for joining us today and for asking questions. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thank you so much, Alexi. Yeah. Yeah, have a great day. It's nice talking to you. <laughs> thanks a lot. Yeah. Goodbye.